good to be here this morning. Thank you for being here. I love seeing all that are here. What a beautiful day it is to come together to worship the Lord. I have for your consideration a lesson that I've titled, Here He Comes. If you remember last week, if you were here, you heard a very powerful lesson, a very good lesson by Ian about humility, of how that Jesus gave us many examples of how to be humble. He used for his core scripture, Philippians 2, 5, and 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not to be robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ, when he found that he was in the form of a man, it says, humbled himself What an example that was. The Son of God humbled himself. He became a servant. Ian used the example of how that Jesus took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and washed the disciples' feet and told them they need to do the same thing. They need to humble themselves. They need to serve. The humanity of Christ, the examples that he gives us as a person is amazing. But this morning, I want to use a different part of this scripture and talk about the deity of Christ. Sometimes, I think mankind in general, we we think of Jesus as our brother. We think of him as our friend, and he is those things. But he is a deity of God. And we need to be reminded of that, I think, for in this same scripture, it says, who, being in the form of God, thought it not to be robbery, to be equal to God. Now, the scriptures teach us that Jesus was perfect in every way. And you and I believe that he was perfect in deed and in thought. And if he thought it was not robbery to be equal with God, the only thing we can assume is, is he was equal to God. It was not a bragging point. It was not a uh, too much of a statement to make. For he was equal to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time with the Trinity, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Sometimes they are acted in the scriptures as one, and they are. And other times, as we find here in the New Testament, we have the Father, and we have the Son as separate, and the Holy Ghost comes later. But yet, they are all together. They are all one in God. So, here he comes. Speaking of Jesus Christ, I want to give credit because the title of this lesson comes from a song that I really like. I recommend finding it on the internet and and listening to it. It's a very good song. It's performed and written by Joseph Habendank. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And it's not the song that's important for the lesson, although we're going to use some of its words in our lesson this morning, but it's the idea that Jesus came. In the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and God pushed them out of the garden, he cursed man and he cursed the woman, but he gave a promise that through the woman's offspring, the devil, the servant's head would be crushed. The first prophecy, the first promise of the coming of Christ. Now, 
it took thousands of years for the perfect statement of time, as the scripture tells us, for Jesus to show up. But let me ask you a hypothetical question. You know, mankind thinks of himself much more than he should, I believe, in general. Could man have stopped Jesus from coming? Could man have moved the date from this day to that day? Absolutely not. God's plan was there. God put it together. And the weaving of history that we find in the Old Testament points towards the Savior coming. Let's go one more step. Could the devil have stopped it? Could the devil have changed the time? Could the devil put forth a spiritual power to change the fact that Christ was coming? No. He tried to kill the, he tried to kill the baby Jesus through Herod, where he killed many young children with the idea that we can destroy Jesus. Of course, God protected him. It didn't happen. He tried, but no, no power, no one, no power, no spiritual power could stop the coming of Christ because God portrayed it would occur. We read this morning there in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him were not anything made that was made. Sometimes I think that we speak of Jesus as the baby born of the Virgin Mary and growing up, and that was the beginning of His birth, but that wasn't the beginning He's part of the Trinity. He is, was there in the beginning. He is there now. It says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was the Word. The Scriptures tell us that God spoke the Word, and creation occurred. He was in the beginning. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, the 13th verse, Christ asked a question. He said, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say I, ye that I am? Say ye that I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a confession that Peter said. But I, I want to point out, and I will talk about it a little later in the lesson, I don't think the disciples at that period of time had the maturity and the understanding of exactly who they were talking to. Yes, he confessed that, he, that Christ was the Son of the living God, but we'll talk here a little later in our lesson. I don't think they truly comprehended it. Back in Proverbs, and Proverbs is a book that's accredited to Solomon, who wrote it for the most part. But there's a little section here that's very curious to me. Proverbs, the 30th chapter. Scholars have debated who these people really are that are written here, but it says the words of Agar, the son of Jekyll, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithel, even unto Ithel and Eucal. Who these people are exactly, no one really knows. But this is what Agar said. Who hath ascended up, up into heaven? Or who descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the water in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? 
And what is his son's name? If thou can tell us, canst tell. In the Old Testament, there's at least three names that the Jews gave to God. One is El Leon, one is El Shaddai, and the other is Yahweh. My understanding is, as tradition, they would not speak these words out loud, or they would not use God's name out loud. How different, of, because of the uh, honor that they give him, how different that is today when God's name is used in vain over and over. But they knew the, the name of God. He told Moses, I am who I am. But what is the name of his son? The question asked there in, in Proverbs, you and I know that because of where we stand in history. His name is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. He has many titles, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, just to mention a few. All the way back in Proverbs, they asked the question, what's God's name and what's his son's name? You and I know today for surety what his name was. I want to ask you a question and look at these words. I think that the scriptures are careful in describing Jesus as likeness of sinful flesh, as the likeness of man for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh and the likeness of man. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. The likeness means he was sort of like. There in Philippians 2 that we've already read, he says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Christ was much more than a man. And yes, he lived and he walked in this body, this physical body on the earth. But the spirit that was in that body was much more than a man. And in fact, Hebrew, the first chapter and the third verse, the scriptures are plain and says, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person. To me, expressed image means exactly. He is exactly the image of God, of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words won't. What he had by, by himself purged our sin and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. In Matthew 9 and 6, the scripture says, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thy house. The Pharisees and the scribes had it right. If Jesus Christ was a man, he was a hypocrite. If Jesus Christ was a man, he blasphemed many times. But he wasn't just a man. He had the power to forgive sins. God allowed him to do so. He had that power, and by the word of his power, and by himself, he purged our sins. Again, in Colossians 1 and 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He was the image of God. And in fact, the scriptures are very plain. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And yes, he was born of a virgin and he lived and walked on this earth, but he was there in the beginning. All things, it says here, were created by him and for him, for he was the word, as we read this morning. <laughs> Let's go back to Matthew 16 and 13, where Jesus asked the question, whom do men say that the son of man am? I, the son of man am. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. Well, first of all, the disciples knew that he wasn't John the Baptist. Some of them personally knew John the Baptist. And I think by this time, John the Baptist had been beheaded. And they knew he did not come back as Jesus Christ because they were with Jesus. They knew that wasn't right. But how about a prophet? How about a great person of the past? Look at Elias, Elijah. A couple of things about Elijah. If you read back in the Old Testament, there's an account there where Elijah was living with a widow and her son. And the son died, and the widow blamed Elijah and God for her, for her son's death. Scriptures say he took and he laid upon the body of the, son, uh, of the widow's son and prayed three times that life might be given back to him. What kind of faith is that? What kind of faith does it have to pray to God and say, bring this child back from the dead? God answered his prayers, and the child lived. James reminds us that back in, in the New Testament where Elisha prayed that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. What kind of faith does that take? And he prayed again and to, for it to rain, and it began to rain. But look at that and compare to Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb, and they took away the stone, it says that Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I, know, I knew that thou hearest me always, but because the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Was he praying to God for, Elijah to come, uh, for Lazarus to come from the dead? No. He made those words, as he says here, so that people would know that he came from God. But he turned and said, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? A dead man got up and walked out of the cave. That wasn't a prayer. That wasn't asking God to do it for him because he had the power to do it. Think about when the storms were raging and the wind was blowing and the waves were high and the ship was about to sink and Jesus stepped upon the deck and said, peace, be still. It wasn't a request of God. It wasn't a prayer as Elijah would have done. And what happened? Nature obeyed. It said it was calm. Peace, be still. I always like reading that story when those around him said, what manner of man is this? He's not just a man. There's no way. He was the son of God who had power to do the things that he needed to do in this life. 
If you remember the account where Jesus took a group of his disciples, the inner group as we call them, and they went out and he was transfigured. He was transfigured and rose up and he talked with Moses and Elijah. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be like Peter. I would be overwhelmed. And this is one of the reasons I think that Peter, when he made the confession, you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he really didn't understand. Because what did he want to do? He said, oh, let's build a tabernacle to you, Lord. Let's build one to Moses. Let's build one to Elijah. Peter, Jesus Christ was in a different league than Moses and Elijah. They were not equals. He was God's son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him is what God said. The song here he comes says stepping down from glory. And that's what we've been talking about. He was in heaven and he stepped down to earth so that we could have our sins forgiven. There could be a sacrifice made. Isaiah 35 and 4 said, saying to them that are the fearful heart, God saying to Isaiah, write this, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be stopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall water break out and streams in the desert. John the Baptist sent a couple of his disciples to Jesus and asked the question, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And Jesus basically quoted Isaiah 35. He said, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see and the lame walk and the leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised to the poor the gospel is preached. Isaiah, God told Isaiah, you tell the people that I'm going to send you a Savior. I am the Savior. And he did. And he knew that John would understand when he sent his disciples back and said, you tell him what you see. And you'll know that there isn't another, it's me. I am the one. The song says, here he comes to seek and save, to wash our sins away. Here the captives start to say, here he comes. In Luke 14 and 18, Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath and he had the, the scroll and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. And to recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. What does it mean to preach deliverance to the captives? Who are the captives? We are. Mankind through was captive to sin. We were imprisoned to sin with no way out. We were controlled by the devil with no way to get out of his grasp. We were captive. And Christ said he was sent to preach deliverance to the captive. Again, I want to say that as the disciples were with Christ, they grew in understanding, and with time they became stronger and more in faith. But 
they also lacked total understanding. There were, num- there were people who followed Jesus that believed in him and began to get it. They began to understand it. You remember when Jesus was going to where Martha and Mary were, were at the death of Lazarus? Martha goes out to meet him ahead of time. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, ye shall, yet shall ye he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which shall come into the world. Now, there's a lot been said about Peter's confession that we read. But this one to me is more deeply meant. Because she got it. She understood it. For she said, if you'd only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But you know what else she said? But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. There was even hope that Lazarus was in the grave for days that this man, Jesus Christ, could raise him from the grave. She believed that. She got it. She understood it. Here he comes. A miracle at sunrise, an empty tomb is shouting. He's alive. Mark 16 and 5 says, In entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right hand, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Jesus told his disciples that God had given him the power to take his life or raise it up again. He wasn't there anymore. He was arisen. In Luke 24, a different rendition of this, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments and said, and as they were afraid, and un- I'll get it right here in a minute. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto him, why seek ye the living among the dead? He was no longer in the grave. There was an empty tomb, and it shouted, He's alive. Here he comes, stepping down from glory, coming back to finish the story. Every time that you read in the New Testament of those writers who wrote about Christ coming back, they were so anxious. They wanted it to happen. The song says, my heart beats with expectation. My soul aches with anticipation. Oh, what a moment of celebration when we see him in the sky. For those of us that follow after the Lord, those of us who do his will and have obeyed his commandments, what a wonderful blessing that will be to stand and see the Lord come in the sky. 1 John 3 said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. You think John wasn't dying to see the Lord come back? 
He said, I don't understand how everything's going to happen, but it's going to be great. And because we have been given the blessings of being the sons of God, we're going to participate in that. Paul said in Romans 8 and 18, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation, the desire, the need to know of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For what the sons of God are going to look like. In Revelations 22, Jesus said, He which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. And what did John say? Even so, come Lord Jesus. He was ready. You and I should be ready. We ought to be hoping to see it come. What a wonderful day that day will be. And Jesus said he's coming back to finish the story. In Revelations 19 and 11, it says, And I saw the heavens open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dripped in blood. And his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, he is the commander-in-chief. Followed him upon white horses, clothed with white linen, fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The deity of Jesus Christ. He sits at God's right hand. Today, and there will be a time when he will come back. I'll ask you the question again, is man being able to stop what day that is? Will the devil be able to stop what day that is? The devil knows it's coming, and he's afraid. Are you? Was it certainly something true. He is coming. Oh, here he comes. You don't want to be afraid when that day shows up. You want to have anticipation of the greatness of being a son and daughter of God. If you have not obeyed the gospel, if you understand that Jesus Christ is the son of God, confess his name, change your way of life, and get your sins washed away so that when he comes, you can say, here he comes. Oh, here he comes. If you're subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.